Welcome to Beyond BIM. Today I have the pleasure of sharing with you an interview with Associate Professor Yang Ming Go. Associate Professor Go is the Dean's Chair at the School of Design and Environment at the National University of Singapore. Dr. Go specializes in workplace safety and health and risk management. He previously worked as a senior consultant in the oil and gas industry, as an assistant director at the Singapore Ministry of Manpower, and also as a senior lecturer at Curtin University in Western Australia. He's also the director of the Center of Project and Facilities Management Department of Building at NUS. And if that wasn't enough, he also simultaneously leads the Safety and Resilience Research Unit within the center. In my interview today with him, we will delve into the topic of AI, more specifically supervised learning, BIM-based simulation, and computer vision in construction safety management. His research career has helped shape much of the research into construction safety management with machine learning modeling techniques and approaches to better help simulate construction hazards. Much of his and his colleagues' work has helped lay the groundwork for the emerging applications of modeling techniques applied within the latest commercial tools, which we're now seeing more frequently marketed for construction safety purposes. Deep learning techniques adopted in autonomous vehicles are seeing a sporadic rate of emergence in construction safety. But Yang kindly reminds us that at the heart of the problem are people and not machines, nor the technology. My name is uh, Yang Miang. Uh, my surname is Go. I'm quite strange for uh, some of the Westerners. Uh, they are known. They they find that it's strange to have the surname at the front. But in Singapore, we have Go at the front. Uh, and the first name is you know, typically two words in Singapore. So um, my name is Yang Miang. But um, many of my friends from uh, Europe and in Australia call me Yang. Um, well, for me, I started off in uh, construction safety um, because of my interest in outdoor safety, actually. So uh, I started off in, in outdoor, doing trekking, rock climbing, etc. And safety is a very important part of outdoor activities. So I started to think about it being a, a civil engineer by training. Uh, I started to think about how to improve construction safety. And in Singapore, the the construction safety records are not fabulous, especially when I was still doing my, my Bachelor of uh, Civil Engineering. Uh, that's where I started to think about doing a PhD or, or postgraduate studies in, in uh, construction management and specifically on construction safety. And my, my PhD topic was actually using uh, case-based reasoning, uh, a very old form of artificial intelligence so that's where I started to think about digitalization, the importance of data, the importance of uh, using better technology to help us improve construction safety. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Can you give us a little, uh, you know, for the layman who isn't maybe, hasn't heard about case-based reasoning, what, what is it? What does that actually look like in practice? Well, case-based reasoning is based on the, the assumption or the model of uh, expert reasoning where experts actually draw memories of 
um, past cases of uh, how they dealt with certain situations, certain um, certain project or certain safety incident, and use that to compare against the current situation, and they draw a similarity. So let's say I'm, I'm looking at a new construction site that just entered. I look at the situation. I start to recall, okay, whether I've been to a similar site and what are the safety measures that I recommended for that site, I pull up that memory of a case. So uh, in case-based reasoning, they try to mimic that process of measuring similarity, drawing a past case that's similar, and then uh, there's a process of adapting it to the current situation. So the, the process is trying to mimic uh, uh, an expert, trying to recall something from the past. So is this in any way related to what we know as supervised learning or machine learning? Yes, it's, uh, I would say it's a form of uh, supervised learning uh, where the past cases would have an outcome that's predetermined by the expert. Um, and then the machine learning algorithm will withdraw similar past cases. And whatever it predicts based on the past case can be compared with the ground proof, uh, whatever ground proof that the person who is developing the, the algorithm would have to compare against the past results and measure the, the performance of that case-based reasoning model. And then, of course, with that work, you then progressed into other areas relating to construction safety. And in particular, could you shed some more light on how simulation-related technologies and or real-time data collection can reduce life-threatening incidents potentially? Yeah, I, I've been working on um, some simulation work and also um, I have an ongoing and ongoing project that is using computer vision, which is essentially a form of real-time um, machine learning approach, uh, deep learning approach to spot hazards. I think uh, it's very, uh, these technologies are, are very promising. Simulation is something that's very doable with BIM and um, or this 3D uh, or even 5D technology. I mean, there's all these uh, possibilities, right, in terms of how to use uh, BIM and different simulation approaches to simulate a construction project uh, so that people can try to identify the possible issues. But within the context of simulation, I think there are many different types of simulation. Um, in terms of uh, just visual simulation, I think it's to help the the uh, project team to spot possible hazards beforehand, the feasibility of the different types of uh, construction methods that they are, they are thinking of using. So this type of simulation is really to give um, the project team a way to visualize their work in the future, so as to spot hazards beforehand. Another form of simulation, which is may or may not be as visual, uh, is really to put in, to develop method a mathematical model of the work, tying it back to the, to the project plan, the sequences of activities, and then try to uh, put in some uh, stochastic type of processes where the rate of uh, possibility of, um, ha of hazards occurring and uh, the probability of um, accidents happening 
can be built into the mathematical model. And this will facilitate some form of risk simulation, risk modeling. Uh, so there's another form of simulation that can possibly be used. I think uh, based on what I've seen is uh, the nearest to actual implementation in projects would be those based on visual uh, simulation where they simulate a project uh, in 3D across time so that uh, the project team get a better sense of the different types of hazards. In terms of mathematical or statistical modeling, of uh, hazards and risks is less common in the construction industry, but it's something that, uh, that we should look into. In terms of real-time, uh, sorry, uh, in, terms of real -time, in terms of real-time data collection, um, I think video data is most promising uh, because video data is now so accessible. Uh, but of course, there's this concern about uh, data, um, the I mean, the, the workers may not, uh, the unions may not uh, agree to have the workers beyond being supervised through a CCTV system all the time. So there could be some problems with uh, such data uh, issues about whether individuals are willing to let their videos be used for such monitoring systems. But from a technical point of view, I think uh, video data is very promising um, because we can actually spot hazards uh, automatically whether people are near a certain danger zone, whether, um, whether workers are, are working at, in a safe manner, uh, coupled with not just visual, not just video data, but also sensors. I think with all this real-time data, um, the, the future of safety management on construction sites will be very different. So that's fascinating because what you're describing is the same technologies that we're seeing with autonomous vehicles, obviously very much dependent on analyzing risk and safety. So in this domain of work, are there also similar um, areas of research where people are looking into, you know, the ethics of some of this? If we're pairing it with machinery on site, should we also be concerned about the ethical dilemmas of of kind of using visual hazard safety systems, how much do they play into the actions taken on the site then? Yeah, I think def definitely ethics is always uh, it's definitely an important topic when we are looking at the use of machine learning methods. I think from uh, workplace safety and health angle, um, the concern about the individual's uh, willingness to, to participate is quite different from a public domain type of situation where the person is in public. Uh, from workplace safety and health angle, uh, the management has certain responsibility um, and that places, uh, in, for, especially when the workplace safety and health or occupational safety and health uh, regulations are now getting even more demanding on employers about what they, they need to do about whether the, the principal contractor or the main contractor, what are their liabilities. So from, from this angle, I think uh, it is easier to convince people to adopt it. Uh, I'm not an expert on, on ethics, but I think uh, it, it is an important topic to look into. Uh, but at the same time, balancing the real risks that our workers are facing on site 
um, that raise uh, a better case for the adoption of such approaches on construction sites. And you mentioned the use of sensors. So is there a push to embed sensors into the existing protective gear of the workers or what type of sensors apart from cameras are you talking about as well? Um, yeah, I think camera is the less intrusive from the angle of uh, the workers, uh, well, less dependent on the workers' behavior uh, because sensors typically will need uh, the workers to, to cooperate in terms of placing the sensors on their body, make sure it's on the helmet, on their harness, which sometimes can be problematic. Uh, and many of these sensors are already being used. Uh, it can be RFID, as simple as an RFID, or uh, some some of the, the systems that I've seen uh, using handphones, Bluetooth uh, technology, which is also getting uh, common in terms of the literature. I, I mean, they have been uh, investigated for, for, I think, for the past decade. Uh, there's plenty of work on, on those different types of sensors. In Singapore, from what I've seen, is that RFID is getting common uh, as a way to track uh, entry into high-risk areas, for example, confined spaces. Uh, so it's not something that is, uh, it is something that has been implemented on-site, which is a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. So would that then give us the ability to have real-time or near real-time warnings for the workers? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think uh, uh, from different I mean, the different approaches, all of them can be real-time. It can be dependent on sensors. It can be dependent on uh, CCTV, uh, CCTV data, video data. Uh, but they all can uh, have real-time alerts. There might be some delay uh, in terms of transmission or some of this information, but it is really very minimal. Uh, what can happen, I, what I foresee in the future is that uh, supervisors will, can easily get an alert if uh, one of their workers entered certain danger area or displayed certain uh, high-risk behavior. Um, and there would be better collection of statistics about workers' behavior on, on the project sites. So with that, I think uh, uh, behavior-based safety will be more easily implemented. Uh, in behavior-based safety, I think worker observation is one of the key uh, processes where workers need to be observed by trained observers, but that process of observation is frequently problematic because workers will display different behavior uh, from their normal or uh, during their, their normal work processes uh, versus when they are being observed. So uh, this is where, besides the real time part, the observer could now be. Uh, the, the real-time system, the real-time deep learning system that we uh, developed where statistics can be accumulated across a much bigger sample, sample size across the whole site. Um, so I would say that it's not just the real-time part that's important. I think many a times workers, uh, when they display very high-risk behavior, it might be too late. It is when they display on a day-to-day -day basis some of this uh, potentially uh, risky behavior, which is not as high risk as climbing over a barricade, but something that is still dangerous. If you have data about it, that's where managers can try to do something about it, uh, prevent 
um, that habit from being built um, uh, early so that uh, accidents can be prevented. I think that's even better than a real-time detection of high-risk behavior. So it's still, you're saying it still will rely on the humans to interpret and manage through actions what the workers are doing on site. So it's not something, we can't really deem it as a fully autonomous system because we're trying to control or manage human behavior, not machinery, to say. Yeah, I think at the moment, um, from what I've seen in the literature and my own work, we still can't, I don't think it's safe to leave it to purely to, to machines. Firstly, uh, the construction industry being a very dynamic uh, industry, it's not like um, a road where the situation is comparatively, uh, the background and all that is more stable. Um, for a construction site, it's always changing. Uh, initially, it could be uh, just rebars and then uh, a week down the road, it could be all concreted and, and the look and feel will be very different. So it can be very challenging for a deep learning system just to pick it, pick all this up on its own. Um, so so I think, of course, it's possible as we build up more data across time. But to say that the accuracy is so high that we can just leave it to the system to, to make decisions, I think it's difficult. They can send alerts based on... Uh, based on the systems and rules that we set for the system. But to just purely leave it to the system without human decision, I think at the moment is not as reliable. I don't think we should, we should do that at this point of time. So the other question is, why are we still so concerned about construction safety on sites. Surely the industry has progressed enough now within that domain. So what are the current statistics, for example, in Singapore related to construction safety and hazards on site? And why should we still be emphasizing on this particular area? Yeah, um, Singapore has uh, been pushing on workplace safety and health since uh, I think there was a major push in 2000, 2004. That's when we have we had had uh, two uh, no three major construction related accidents, all resulting in major fatalities. Um, so since then we we have seen drastic improvement in terms of our safety performance in the construction industry and in workplace safety and health as a whole. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we the construction industry is still the top contributor of uh, fatalities in Singapore. And, and what we see is that even the number of major injuries, uh, the construction industry is still uh, one of the top contributors. So I would say that uh, in Singapore, despite improvement across the years, uh, we are still facing a huge challenge uh, in terms of construction safety. Uh, just to give you a sense, um, I think in terms of um, what I've seen uh, across the years, um, what we have in Singapore we used to be ranked um, something like in 2010, the rank uh, in terms of fatality rates, the rank 18th um, in the OECD countries. And now we're ranked, uh, in 2018, we are ranked 7th. Uh, 
So we have uh, made uh, major major improvements. Wow, that's yeah, quite so, a leap. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a big leap. And, and the government have put in a lot of resources, definitely. But I think the key key reason why we have improved is that the industries have been playing ball. Uh, they have been very serious about workplace safety and health. But construction itself, um, despite the efforts, there are many structural issues. I think with the recent COVID, uh, is is shown again that we are overly reliant on foreign workers, on migrant workers. And that's where this group of workers are a vulnerable group. They are not unionized. They don't have, uh, they are just transient. They're here for about two years, um, most of the time. So this group of workers are, are definitely, um, um, they are not as, I would say they are not as uh, safety conscious uh, in general because they are placed in such a situation where they are here really just to work, get the most out of the time. Uh, so there are some structural issues in Singapore and that itself is a big challenge for the construction industry. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and you're saying that a lot of the progress that's been made is because you've seen that the industry has been taking the regulations more seriously and uh, do you think that it any that the technology has played any role in that or has it been other measures that you see are actually more important i think technology is um, an important factor uh, because but not not from a safety technology point of view but in terms of construction technology in general there have been um Reduction of the cast in situ, for example, there's less reliance on scaffold. Um, so people are moving, uh, very much moving towards uh, different types of technology. Well, most of them are, are modular construction. I think that itself is a big improvement from the construction technology point of view, and that has a big, big impact on safety. Uh, that's what I believe, but there's no concrete numbers to support that. Uh, I, I, that's my personal belief. Um, and but of course, at the end, no matter what methods we use, um, I think the commitment towards safety is still fundamental. I can sense that many of the bigger contractors are taking safety very seriously. Uh, they have uh, come up with uh, different programs to improve safety culture, the softer side of things of management. I think these are very very important, and not just uh, the technology aspect. Because you can have the best technology, there are always ways to to go around them. Uh, unfortunately, so I think the culture part is more fundamental. Have you had any examples of where workers go around the technology? Uh, well, for example, uh, some of these machines where they have uh, guardings to prevent direct contact with moving parts. When the machine is getting overheated. Uh, it could be a forklift, it could be a crane, it could be a, a rebar bender, bending machine. Uh, when the machine is getting heated up, so to allow the machine to continue functioning, they, they just open it up. People just open up the guarding and find ways to allow the work to continue. So it's quite amazing what people do to, to get work going. And I guess that's very difficult to model, right? Because you're trying to model... Um, human behavior and preemptively assess the risk of you know human decision making but 
how difficult is it to model that actually in reality? I mean, is it realistic? Um, I think to model specific individuals is very difficult. So I tried with uh, agent-based uh, modeling. So in agent-based modeling, I think it's, um, we're trying to model activities or model projects, uh, but to model individual behavior, specific worker, to predict who will commit the next unsafe act is impossible. It's impossible. But to get a sense of the level of risk, I think if you have good data from past projects, you can actually build in some of this uh, um, possible, uh, the rate of uh, commission of uh, unsafe acts, for example. It can be based on actual data, uh, hazard reporting, behavior observation. I think it's possible to have uh, a broader level type of estimation of how, how likely certain uh, unsafe behavior uh, is. Right. So I think if you take it at activity or project level, it's more likely. And so, for instance, within the consumer market, we have a lot of examples of personalized services that try and preempt where we're clicking or what we're doing online. Do you see that personalized services in the safety domain are also going to start to emerge as a result of using this type of data collection? Yeah, I think, I think those recommender that uh, companies like Amazon or some of these big uh, online platforms use to predict consumers' behavior can be adapted to construction safety. Um, for example, operators, right? So uh, in terms of their behavior, uh, for example, crane operators, if we are able to understand their behavior, their typical unsafe behavior, we might recommend uh, certain interventions like break at a certain point of time if they're able to uh, study the eye movement or, or they are, how they operate the machines and preempt that hey these are possible signs that hey they might need a break or a, a small message to remind them of uh, the, the importance of uh, some safety checks if they missed it uh, to, to preempt and that means it's based on a prediction that hey this operator might be um, on the path towards making a very dangerous move and they recommend certain action. So that all this are uh, foreseeable future application of uh, AI. Yeah, that's fascinating because there are similar examples being developed with um, vehicles as well to monitor the driver's behavior. So there's a lot of synergy with what's happening in the automotive industries and the technologies that they're exploiting and how that's now starting to proliferate construction. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, we've heard a lot of discussion about the concept of digital twins being talked about in manufacturing settings to create like a digital mirror reflection of what's happening within an assembly line. Do you foresee that something like this could be a possibility, at least in the you know, the prefabrication domain. And do you think we're anywhere closer to getting to a digital twin or is this just some kind of kind of marketing jargon that you don't really see that that's, that's going to be a reality anytime soon on a construction site? Well, in Singapore, we have, the government have been pushing for digital twin or being um, very aggressively I would say that there's some successes, but uh, it's definitely not near 
what we have seen in the manufacturing industry of uh, the, the way that they use the term digital twin. Um, I would say that it is a vision that we all should have for the construction industry, but there are many challenges um, that uh, the, the, our industry face, which is quite different for the manufacturing industry. Um, I would just say that it is something that is possible, something that we should all push towards so as to improve um, safety, so as to improve productivity, so as to improve the industry as a whole. Uh, but uh, there are, there's a wide range of challenges that we need to tackle. And again, it's related to the structure of our industry because we are so fragmented. Uh, we are relying many a times, well, Singapore is not the only one, but I, I think many countries are relying on transient workers, migrant workers, who are seasonal or, or simply just transient. And, and that all these are part of the problems. People might not be as willing to invest in competencies of workers, of employees, um, and in terms of uh, the contractors, they might not be as willing to invest in some of the, the, the machineries, in terms of uh, different types of technologies. So there's some there are many structural issues that we need to deal with. Um, I'll just say that it's a vision that we must push for, but there are plenty of challenges. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. And so there is, as you say, there is a heavy push from governments around the world to to create or manifest that vision in practice. But as you rightly said, construction industry is still very different from a manufacturing setting as what, what we know of. So um, in regards to the current changes in the way that everybody is working, are we now, are you seeing in Singapore other new measures that have been taken into account on the construction sites given the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, well, the consultants are definitely working from home. Most of them, the consultants are now moving towards that. Uh, they're forced to because of the situation. So perhaps one of the, the upside of this COVID pandemic is that uh, many industries, including construction industries, are forced to adopt more digital uh, technologies. And, and that is perhaps one of the few upside of this uh, very tragic episode. So um, I would say that uh, the contractors are struggling to cope in, in terms of the actual work on site. Uh, there's a move towards uh, digitalizing many of their processes but in the short run, I think uh, most companies, from what I've seen, are just, are just trying to survive. Uh, it's a very tough time for the industry. Uh, next week, in Singapore, next week, uh, some of them, from June onwards, some of them can start work, but only for critical projects. So many of them have stopped work for months. Uh, coming to By the time they start work, it will be stoppage of three months of work. And so then, construction sites have been closed effectively in Singapore. Yes. In Singapore, right. all construction sites have stopped. And most of um, the, many of the workers, many of the dormitories that the foreign workers are staying in have also been locked down. So there's a manpower shortage at the, at the moment. For them, many of them are considering you, the use of technology or contractors. Many 
many of them are exploring the use of technology to uh, to help them to continue with work when the government allow them to do so. Uh, there will be requirements for safe distancing, uh, the tracking of workers are working on certain zone so that there's less mingling between uh, different subcontractors. So all this is very difficult to implement uh, through manual supervision. Some of them are exploring ways uh, of using sensors uh, to ensure safe distancing. Some of them are exploring uh, other approaches. So I would say that this, this pandemic had forced many companies to start exploring ways to, to tap onto technologies to help them survive. Yeah, that, that seems to be the common consensus. So, But also, as we know, construction companies are very financially strained given the already tight profit margins and profitability. So do you think that because of that, you might see more changes in the way that these businesses operate whereby they might have to partner up with companies outside of their domain expertise to fund some of that innovation? Or do, do you think that the businesses as a whole will have to reconsider how they operate? Um, definitely. I think this is um, survival of the fittest and the people, um, the companies that are able to adapt to this major challenge will be the survivors. Um, some, I'm sure there'll be companies that will, that will just simply give up and, and go bankrupt or just end their business. This is, uh, in a way, uh, well, a test of the ability to adapt, I would say. So um, the, many of them, the, the Singapore's Contractors Association Limited have been working with the Singapore government in Singapore, the government has amazingly strong reserves, as you can see from this uh, episode. The, the amount of reserve is an unknown even to citizens. Um, and the way that they are throwing out the fourth package of uh, trying to save businesses is pretty amazing. They have already spent about um, billions of dollars. I think, if I'm not wrong, it's about 100 billion uh, Singapore dollars uh, to wow. save yeah, there's a lot of money for a small country like Singapore. So the Contractors Association have been working with the government very closely. Then the government had committed to help the, the contractors uh, to the construction industry because it is one, one of the worst hit uh, industries because we're so reliant on migrant workers and, and there are so many migrant workers being infected. Uh, so what I see is that um, many of them are really dependent on the government now. I'm not sure how many how many of them will be able to get partners from outside the industry to help out. Uh, so the government plays a big role in this pandemic to, to make sure that our industry continues to, to survive. That's the situation in Singapore now. Okay. And uh, given that you're continuing research within the same domain, so for any of those aspiring researchers that are wanting to make a change within the construction industry or in that domain, what advice would you give them? Given that you've had this experience in conducting research and you've worked within industry, so can you give us some examples of what advice you'd give to those researchers who want to see a change? 
Well, from my angle, I I think what I've learned in my collaboration with the industry is that the ability to get funding is critical. Um, the industry is very practical. They are more concerned with the project that is running. So for us as researchers to work with them, I think uh, we must be able to get funding from some some uh, reliable source so as to fund our our dreams for the industry, our, our vision of what would help the industry. I think at the end, the funding is critical. If we can't get funding to fund many of these projects, uh, it's very difficult to continue our collaboration with the industry. And, and at least in this part of the, of the world, many of the companies are not willing, <clears throat> are not willing to fund uh, research. So uh, that's where if you can find charitable organizations, you can find funding from, from government, uh, open calls for innovation. So that ability to work with different organizations to get funding to help the industry to improve, I think is a very fundamental, very, very fundamental and important skill to have. Uh, that's one. The other part is the ability to convince the, the companies that uh, it is useful. Uh, I think uh, people on the ground are very practical. They have no time for you to publish papers for the sake of a career, to, to write something about some fanciful technology that's not going to work. People are very practical. So yeah. it's up to us about our creativity to find the balance between uh, what they need what we need and what the grantors need. Mm. So that ability to juggle the difference, uh, the differences in, in needs in the different KPIs, key performance indicators of different parties, I think that is actually something that you can't learn from books. Uh, you can't get them from, from uh, <laughs> any of the courses I take from universities. Uh, but many of the experienced professors will be very good uh, mentors for such things. I think talking to experienced, successful uh, researchers for how they gain support from the industry, from the government, from uh, the unions or whoever are willing to pump in the resources to fund research. I think that is really, really critical. Thank you for tuning in to listen to Beyond BIM podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more from our latest episodes, then you can visit Beyond BIM, which is available on SoundCloud and iTunes and all the other major podcast providers.